Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Our guest today is Mary D'Onofrio. She is a VP at Bessemer Venture Partners. She started the firm's growth investment practice, where she primarily focuses on cloud software. Mary actively tracks both private and public cloud software and is one of the key architects behind the BVP NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index, which serves as a benchmark for public cloud companies. She also developed Bessemer's cash conversion score and is an author of the 10 Laws of Cloud. Previously, Mary has worked in equity capital markets at Morgan Stanley. She holds an MBA from Yale and graduated from Princeton University. It's really exciting to have you on our show today, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm um, jumping into this conversation. In one of your articles on TechCrunch, you mentioned how you believe that once founders find shelter in the cloud, they'll never go back. And especially during a pandemic like COVID, cloud solutions come to the rescue for industries across the board. Curious to hear how your thesis on cloud and SaaS solutions has evolved and where today do you see the largest opportunities? Sure. So investing in cloud software is not a new area for Bessemer. We have one of the largest cloud portfolios in venture today with over 150 investments to date, um, 25 IPOs, 50 M&A outcomes. So we've long believed in the power of the cloud and we actually started our cloud prop practice probably 20 years ago. Um, and SaaS companies have a lot of well-known benefits relative to on-premise software solutions. Cost savings with reduced upfront spend, reduced switching costs as costs are moved from CapEx to OpEx, faster implementation, better product delivery, um, since only one version is maintained. Um, there's also a lot of, uh, of benefits to the business model. SaaS companies tend to exhibit better retention dynamics, lower churn, predictable re recurring revenue growth and, and create leverage in their own operating models as they spend a lot of money up front to acquire customers and then and then to build product, but they monetize those customers over long periods of time, eventually re reaching impressive cash flow margins while maintaining growth. And, and I think across industries, we've been incredibly bullish about the power of the cloud broadly. But then when you're talking about COVID, You've seen an acceleration in digital transformation initiatives that have propelled firms into embracing the cloud more so than they have ever before. Suddenly, on-premise installations or POCs are no longer tenable. You, you have to use a cloud solution if you're going to deploy. Suddenly, remote work is a priority. Remote collaboration is key, all of which are tailwinds for cloud software purchases. And within SaaS, there are a few areas where we're seeing the most growth. So um, as, as just mentioned, collaboration tools that embrace remote work functionality and, and promote collaboration um, amongst workforces. Companies like Acanva in the design software space or Figma in the design software space are, are seeing a lot of pickup. Uh, another segment that's, that's um, going incredibly well is infrastructure. Uh, companies like HashiCorp or Databricks being the real winners, kind of cloud-deployed infrastructure solutions. Um, I recently published a Cloud 100 Benchmarks report that, that talks about uh, the top 100 private cloud companies today. Uh, the Cloud 100 is, in, is, is a list that, that Bessemer publishes alongside Forbes and, and Salesforce Ventures. And, and what we see is that uh, the infrastructure category actually has uh, the most value pent up of any uh, subsector in cloud today. This is excellent, Mary, and, and really interesting to see your 
uh, thorough research on how interesting the cloud and SaaS enterprise space is becoming. Um, building a little more on that, we just heard that you're one of the architects of BVP's cloud index, M Cloud, as as you probably say it, and even something called a cash conversion score. Uh, while we are very curious, what does that really mean? What does that entail? Um, something we're curious to hear today on this podcast is that when you build something like this, it seems that the culture at the fund at Bessemer has nurtured you to do these data-driven innovations and looks like you're empowered as a team to internally lead a change like this. Could you shed some light on what motivated you to create such metrics and see them through? How's the firm culture like that promotes such initiatives? Sure, yeah. Um, so starting with the cloud index, it's the Bessemer NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index. And that really started with the firm's effort to understand and to benchmark cloud software companies and, and cloud software company performance as companies graduate into being public and being more mature. Almost half of the companies on the index have gone public in the last four years. And so the firm, which was historically capturing the, the evolution of private cloud software, wanted to make sure to understand how it was evolving once public. And, and what we've seen is that cloud software has just simply proliferated. We have almost what we have almost $1.5 trillion of public cloud market cap. Um, and just this year alone, the BVP NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index is up 74% year to date, far outpacing the achievements of other major industries, uh, pardon me, indices. Uh, for example, the S&P is only up 5% this year, the NASDAQ 25%, and the, the Dow is actually down. Um, the, that index itself um, was actually created by Byron Dieter, one of the partners at the firm in 2013. But in 2018, once I joined, there I, I helped to spearhead an, an initiative to institutionalize it, partnering with NASDAQ such that it became a trackable index. Um, and then a year later, we partnered with Wisdom Tree, an ETF provider who actually took, uh, who actually uh, takes the index and makes it a publicly tradable ETF. That we what we are attempting to do there is to not only, is to actually empower the industry to track public cloud the way that we do. On the cash conversion score, um, that metric actually began completely separately. It started with a question that uh, me and Jeff Epstein, who's an executive in residence at Bessemer and the former CFO of Oracle, were asking each other. Um, there, within within our partnerships, um, there would be different people would say, you know, hey, this company is at ten million of ARR, but they've only raised a million dollars. And someone would say, oh, this company's at 10 million of ARR, but they've raised $20 million. And Jeff and I were debating one day as to whether or not that mattered. We had a thesis that yes, it did, that raising less money to get to the same ARR scale would be would, would indicate a better company, but we didn't actually know. So we went through years worth of Bessemer um, private cloud data, public cloud data to investigate whether or not that was actually true. And what we found is that it is true. Capital efficiency is key. And, and the cash conversion score basically is a metric of ARR over total capital raised to date minus cash, which is a measure on of return on invested capital. And the higher the cash conversion score, the higher the returns are that, that investors get, that employees get, that founders get with their own businesses. Um, and across the uh, public cloud landscape, the average public cloud company has a above a 1x cash conversion score. So that's best in class and, and what every cl private cloud company should aspire to. Turning to your question on the, the firm support for these kind of initiatives, um, I, I think that it's incredibly supported. Um, 
everyone at the firm is encouraged to pursue their own interests and to some extent brand as they as they look to make their um, make their mark on uh, the venture market. Um, as uh, one of the founders of the growth practice, um, I've really leaned into metrics and re- really leaned into understanding um, at scale cloud companies since that's where I focus and have been very much encouraged to do so. That's amazing. Um, and uh, I'm glad to be learning. I'm learning with you as you're talking about all of this. And a 74% return sounds pretty nice. And I wish I knew about this earlier. Um, so we often get asked about progressing to higher positions at funds. You have recently been promoted to VP at Bessemer. Could you share your experience of moving up the ladder? What are your thoughts on um, difficult progressions within funds, especially for women? Certainly. Um, and I know this is a topic that gets talked about a lot. Um, I think that venture fundamentally boils down to a couple of things. Uh, the ability to find and win new deals, and then the ability to support your portfolio as they grow. And progressing at a venture fund and, and just progressing in venture in general, I think is a lot about finding sponsorship that will allow you to do those things successfully. I have been lucky enough at Bessemer to have found great sponsors. So an example is is David Cowan, who started the cloud practice um, and now leads a lot of our frontier investments. After years of helping him with his companies, he actually just sponsored one of mine, um, which is unannounced. Another great sponsor is a man named Elliot Robinson, who leads the growth practice. And he's very systematic and careful with me as we serve on the same board for a company called Hyperscience to talk to me about board dynamics, talk to me about the ways to help that company grow. Um, and so I think, um, especially, I think this is, this is true for any um, kind of mid-level or junior investor, um, but probably even more so for women, trying to identify those sponsors, investing in those relationships is really key early on. And what I found with, with both of the examples that I gave you, but then even more broadly at Bessemer, um, after a few months or years of, of really dedicating yourself to empowering um, others to be very successful at their jobs, um, and usually as a junior person that's sourcing really well, doing really good diligence, um, then being very tactful and, and, and um, pointed about the requests you have um, for things that you'd like to learn from more senior investors tends to be a great way to, to approach um, developing your own career and, and moving up the ladder um, in turn, as you get better at those things, finding deals, winning deals, and helping your portfolio. I was at um, Equity Capital Markets at City, actually. So it was really, it was really funny reading your your bio. And I can absolutely agree with you that I found some really um, inspiring and supportive mentors throughout. And investing in those relationships has been really great for um, both of us. And there are always people out there um, once you're working hard that are invested in your success. So uh, that's definitely key when it comes to career progression. That's that's absolutely true. And, you know, we, we keep talking about this, that it's it's generally hard to find a mentor or, you know, typically this industry is small and generally it's almost very lean. You have very small teams at funds managing large assets under management. Um, I think a good tip you mentioned is that you can't receive mentorship unless you also have a support to provide. So I think it's a two way stream and um, it's, it's a good input, I'm sure, for folks who are uh, looking to kind of break it in. Um, talking a little bit more about women representation, um, are there any concerted efforts that Bessemer Ventures takes to ensure that there's a gender balanced uh, management teams at your portfolio companies? Uh, in your experience, uh, are there serious measures taken to consider this aspect of portfolio management? 
Definitely. I, I think it's it's obviously become, uh, it's been put in sharp relief in the past kind of six months. But across even, you know, the, since I've been at Bessemer over the past few years, there definitely has been a concerted effort to to promote diversity and inclusion um, within our portfolio companies and even at Bessemer itself. Um, I think one of the things that I like to do as a board member, whenever I know that a management team is hiring an executive is to kind of ask the questions, um, you know, what, what's the gender balance of, of the, the candidates in the pipeline? What's uh, Tell me about the other kind of elements of diversity for, for candidates in the pipeline. And, and you just want to ensure that um, all, all candidates uh, with a diversity of backgrounds are being considered. Um, you know, sometimes as, as a board member, you can't be too prescriptive. Like sometimes people are, are, are or are not the right fits for what a company is looking for. Uh, but you do want to ask the hard questions and, and um, make sure that they that they are considering all elements of diversity. And a lot of times that even comes with just making sure that um, the portfolio companies themselves are equipped to ask those questions by making sure they have uh, a VP people or a VP HR. Um, and those are actually hires that we've been seeing more and more frequently over the past kind of year than ever before. That's so interesting to say that at my previous company, when the company that I was building, we used to say that these are not employees who we work with. They are almost talent. Um, so we had a head of talent. We didn't have an HR because we didn't find human resources um, as the term we wanted to use for our team. So uh, that's it's really appreciative of what you mentioned. We have a we have a VP talent at Bessemer as well. <laughs> um, so just finally wrapping up the conversation, Mary, um, what would you advise women who are trying to break into the industry? What are some of the pitfalls to avoid? Some hardcore preparation tips for succeeding in the investing ecosystem. I'm probably going to get this stat wrong, but this was actually something that I learned in business school: is that men will apply to jobs when they you know, think they fit six of the 10 criteria that that the job profile asks for. And women will only apply for jobs if they meet nine of the 10. Um, and so what I found talking to a lot of women who are aspiring venture capitalists is that um, I hear a lot of, you know, I'm not, I don't have the background for this. I haven't been in a product role. I don't know enough about finance. Um, and I think kind of betting on yourself and betting on what you do have to offer is really key. Um, and pounding the pavement, you know, I, when I, uh, I'll be honest, when I looked for a venture job, I reached out to probably 60 firms, I probably only got answers from 30 of them, half of which were immediate no's, um, and then really did my best working on the other 15 that were available to me. And I got one job. But guess what, it's a really phenomenal job. And I think that for people, especially women who are trying to break into venture, um, not taking no for an answer, continuing to bet on yourself, obviously plugging the holes that you think that you have. Like if you do think that if you want to be a really early stage VC and you think that you do need a product background, go ahead and get an internship at a, at a company doing early stage product design and, and product management. Go ahead and do that. But um, every venture firm is looking for a special snowflake. There's something that this one firm is missing. And usually it's not a one size fits all model. Um, so, you know, just just pitching yourself as compellingly as you can to as many people as you can, um, I'm pretty convinced will yield success, especially for for the kind of phenomenal people who take enough interest to listen to a podcast like this. <laughs> That's some amazing advice. And I really hope our listeners do take it. Um, and actually, I think I, I heard a very similar stat um, earlier when I was doing research. So 
Um, thank you so much, Mary, for being on the show today and sharing all your insights on, on the cloud and Bessemer and your journey um, in VC. This was a great, great conversation. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.